Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples weekly sermon podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Heavenly Father, just thank you so much again for this time, this place, uh, all these folks who've come out because they want to worship you, they want to hear from you. Lord, I'm excited to hear myself what you have to say today. So Lord, as we open up your word, I pray that you would speak to us. Speak to us through these words, through your word. Um, take this message today and, and make it a masterpiece, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, and in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, there's a lot going on here in, uh, in Deuteronomy. We, we kind of went through about half of chapter four last week. Um, and uh, believe it or not, I'm not even going to finish chapter four. It is just too much to talk about. And, and, and it's too important that we cover what it is that, that Moses is, is sharing with the people here as they're, they're perched on the... Uh, man, it's freezing in here. Is anybody else freezing? No. All right. All right. Never mind. Forget it. I'm just going to get really worked up. <laughs> well, okay, so they're, 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 they're on the other side of the Jordan. They're getting ready to go in, and Moses is sharing with them all this information. But one thing that strikes me is the thing that he keeps hitting on over and over and over again is do not worship idols. Over and over again, he says to them, don't make idols and don't worship them. And, you know, part of the thing that I think he's so concerned, the reason he's so concerned is because they came out of Egypt. Egypt was, was idol central. Everything that they looked at and saw the rivers and the grass and the sky and the mountains and everything, they were like, well, let's make an idol to that. And that's a God and let's worship that. And they would worship idols. And you know, the, the children of Israel, they were in Egypt for a really long time. And so the influences of that world were just kind of seeping into them. And God was like, no, you're going to go and you're going to be a different people than where you came from. But you're also, you're going to be a different people than where you are going to because you're going into the land of Canaan, which, you know, I'm giving to you and it's really great. But it's also filled with idols. There's idols for everything. So you thought Egypt was full of idols. Wait until you get into this, this land here. That's, they've got more idols than Egypt has. And it's going to be so tempting for you to look around and say, you know what? We need to worship these idols too. Or, you know, really what they're going to say is, wouldn't it be easier if we were just the same as everybody else? And so he's going to hit on this and hit on this. And we saw this last week. It was like, don't make any idols. Don't make any idols. Don't make any idols. And also, don't bow down to them. Be my people, God will say. Don't be idol people. David will talk. Uh, David will write a psalm, Psalm 115. You can turn there if you want. Psalm 115. I just I have to read it to you because you, he's talking about the folly of idol worship. But he says, this is Psalm 115, starting in four, it says, the idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they don't speak. They have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they don't smell. They have hands, but they don't handle. Feet, but they don't walk, nor do they mutter through their throats. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. He says, 
They're worthless pieces of wood that have been carved out and they look like people with eyes and nose and ears and hands and feet. They don't do anything. They're empty. He says, those who make them and worship them become like them. They become empty. Empty. It is almost as David is saying, why would you do that? Why would you bother? Isaiah will also talk in in, uh, Isaiah chapter 44 about the foolishness of idol worship. He basically says a man goes out and plants a tree. And once that tree grows up, he goes out and he cuts down the tree. And he brings in that wood and he splits all that wood and he puts it on his fire to bake his bread and to roast his meat. And then when he's got some wood left over, he carves an idol. That's like, it's like you know, I've used all the wood I need to cook and everything. Oh, I've got this little piece left. Let me carve it into something. And then it says he sets it up and he bows down to it. He says, you are my God. Deliver me. In Isaiah, in the biggest eye roll I've found in the Bible, says, should I fall down before a block of wood? The foolishness of idol worship. Oh, my goodness. And so he's warning them over and over again. But why does he know that it will be, why does he do this? Why is this so important to him? It's not just because he wants them to worship him. That is utmost important. But why does he keep hitting this? Why does he keep pushing that button? Because he knows that once they get into the land of Canaan, it's going to be so tempting to want to be like everybody else looking around and saying, everybody else has all these gods that they can see in their home. They've got a shelf and they've got their God and they can see their God and and they can pray to that one and this one and that one and harvest and moon and mountains and forest and water. Oh, it's going to be very tempting to be like everybody else. They struggle with this. They will struggle with this. Later on, they don't have any kings. You know, there are no kings in charge of the, uh, of the Israelites. But they'll look around, and they'll come to Samuel, and they'll say, you know what, Samuel? Can we have a king? We really want a king. Everybody else has a king. Everybody else, that kingdom there, and those guys, and that group, and that, they all have kings. Why can't we have a king? Everybody else has one. <laughs> It would be tempting, I think, for Samuel to be like, well, if everybody else jumped in the Jordan River, would you jump in the Jordan River? <laughs> and they would, I think. They would because they wanted to be like, they wanted to be like ever. And so Samuel goes to God and God says, you know what, don't worry. They haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. You see that? That desire to be like everybody else comes from a place of rejecting God saying, essentially, God isn't enough. We want to be like everybody else. So you can give us a king. And Samuel says, or God says, all right, tell him this. I'll give him a king. Well, what is that? First of all, we've been talking about this. Is that the perfect will of God? No. That's the permissive will of God, right? Well, he'll allow it, but what happens? Not great things. He says, look, I'll give them a king, but this is what's going to happen. He's going to take your land. You're going to have to pay him tribute. You're going to have to give him your sons and your daughters. He's going to rule over you and all of that. But I'll give you a king. And so they said, uh, uh, yes, we want that. We want to be like everybody else. You know, ultimately, does that work out good for them? Saul starts out okay. But you know what? He's tall. He's handsome. I'm not implying anything. (laughs) 
don't know why you're sniggering. He ultimately goes completely off the rails, right? Well, God says, no, David. David's my real king. And he picks David, right? And then David has Solomon. And Solomon's a good king for a little while. But then you know what happens? You know what God said to Solomon? Don't marry lots of women. And Solomon's like, hmm. I am very wise. I think I'll not only not marry lots of women, I'll marry all the women. It seems like he married all the women. But God said, don't do it, and especially not foreign women, because what will happen is they're going to turn your heart to what? Idol worship. What happens? They turn his heart to idol worship. And the kingdom does this. Splits. And from that point on, go ahead and ring Kings and Chronicles. Just spend some time in First and Second Kings and Chronicles and see what happens. Bad king after bad king after bad king. Over and over and over we did evil in the sight of the Lord. Did evil in the sight of the Lord. Did evil. Even the good ones, even the ones that weren't so bad, you know what they didn't do? They did not tear down the high places. They allowed for idol worship. That's what they're influenced by what everybody else is doing. Why can't we be like everybody else? God says, you need to be different. David, at one point, looks out and he says, you know, all these other nations, they have temples to their gods. Our God, who's the best God, he lives in a tent. We should build him a, we should build him a big temple. And, God, and David says to Nathan, you know, his friend prophet, hey, I'm going to build God a temple. And Nathan's like, go for it, David. That's a great idea. And then Nathan goes home, you know, and he's reading the paper one night. And God says, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Nathan. No, you need to go back and tell David he's not to build me a, tent, a temple. In fact, he says, have I not dwelt with you this whole time in a tabernacle, in a tent? Do you know that God never actually told anybody to build him a temple, a building? But they were like, we want a temple for our God like everybody else has. So guess what God did? He permits them to build a temple. How's that work out? (laughs) What do we see Jesus going into the temple and saying, you have made my father's house a house of thieves and a marketplace, and he's turning over tables, and he's releasing the doves. (laughs) Didn't go well. Was they wanted to be like everybody else. See, he says, no idols. In fact, he says, he's going to remind him in here, remember, you didn't see the form of God. You only heard my voice. Remember in Exodus chapter 20, they're all gathered around the bottom of Mount Sinai and God speaks to them the Ten Commandments. Maybe you forgot that. He didn't just write it down on the tablets. He spoke it to them first, if you remember. And they all heard, and many of these folks who are gathered around right now, you know, this younger generation, um, who are, you know, 58 years old and younger, they were there. They were there too, many of them. And they heard the word of God. And he's reminded them, and he reminds them again here, be ear people, not eye people. Do you get that? Be ear people, not eye people. See, the, in Romans it says, faith comes by Hearing, and hearing what? The word of God. That's where faith comes from. Our faith doesn't come because we see something amazing. You might, but that's not where your faith comes from. If you're an eye person, you're always looking for what's that next supernatural cool thing that I'm going to see, and that's really going to bolster my faith. And God says, oh, that's going to last about a second. But hearing the word of God, what you're doing right now, 
when you go home and you open up your Bible. You know what? If you want to hear from God, read your Bible to yourself out loud. Read it out loud, even if you're the only one in the room, and hear from God. See, the thing is, like, idols, those are I people. Idols are I. Like, I have to see my God, or else I can't worship, so I got to see it. And it's like, I'm going to, I can see that mountain, so I'm going to worship that mountain. I, can, I can't see necessarily the fish in the sea, so I'm going to make an idol that looks like a fish or a person or something. I have to see it. And God says, no, you're not eye people, you're ear people because you hear the word of God. What about idols now? Got a bunch of statues in your house? You probably, don't get ahead of me. Thanks, Cesar. Let's pray. We're done now. <laughs> Raise your hand if you have something to share. We do. Now, I know you probably don't have a statue in your home that you're praying to. I mean, you may. If you do, let's talk about that laughter church. But we still have idols. Here's the, here's the definition of idolatry, is when someone or something becomes more important to you than your relationship with God. That's idolatry. Uh, Tim Keller says, anything that absorbs your heart more than God. Anything that absorbs your heart more than God. That's idolatry. So here are some contemporary examples for you, and this may be convicting for some of you. <laughs> or me, I guess. How about your identity? Your identity, I mean, uh, look, that has become more and more of an idol lately because we have this social network going on, right? Where it's like, oh, how many friends do I have? How many followers? How many of you remember MySpace? Remember MySpace? Nerds. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you know, you were like, you had like places, Right, and so uh, you know there was some there was some competition for which place or how many spaces or how many friends. No, and you were like how many followers you have. How, you know, you post a comment. You, I mean, when you po sometimes I post something funny on my Facebook page. I rarely post, but sometimes I'll throw something up there that I, I just think, oh my god, <laughs> this is gonna kill. But then you know what I do. I constantly check it to see did anybody comment? Did anybody like? Did anybody laugh at it? Because I'm putting my identity in what other people think of on my Facebook post or my, what's my identity? What is my identity? Who determines that? Christ. Oh, man. Right? Amen. If I make it something other than him, it's an idol. Yes. What about money? That's pretty obvious. I think if I said, what's an idol these days, people might say money. Let me just throw this out there. Money's not bad. Money in itself is just a thing. Right? It's what you do with it, how you feel about it, how you desire it. The Bible even says money's not a bad thing. It's the desire for it or the, the chasing after it, right? If, if all you're thinking about is how much money you have or how much money you don't have or how you're going to get more of the money that you don't have or what you're going to do with it when you have it or, or how am I going to ever retire ever because I don't have enough money, it's becoming an idol. It's something that you're creating. Oh, how about personal entertainment? 
or comfort and convenience. Oh man, just lump all those together. Entertainment, comfort, convenience. I mean, if that's the one thing that's on your mind all the time, you're thinking about it all the time. Oh man, what are we going to do on our next vacation? Where are we going to go on our next vacation? How are we going to pay for it? Because we don't have the money. But you know, Disney's offering 30% off on their cruises for people who live here in Florida. (laughs) If it consumes your heart, it's an idol. What about your phone? You know, like 40, 50 years ago, I'm not sure that would have been on the list. Even maybe 30 years ago, I mean, when it was like, here, let me text you a message. The. You guys remember that? Listen, listen. If you, have you ever misplaced your phone? Have you ever left home without it and then you get to where you're going, you're like. <laughs> you just start freaking out. You're like, where's my phone? Where's my phone? I can't believe. It. Now what am I going to do? Let me just remind you, first of all, most of us lived a pretty normal life and functioned pretty well before phones that we could take with us. Remember? Who remembers that? If you react When you lose your phone, in the same way that you've misplaced a child, (laughs) or worse, you need to rethink how much you are loving that phone, right? If you're like, I don't know, she's in here somewhere, but I can't remember where my phone is and I'm freaking out. It's not good. It's not good. It's an idol. It's consuming your heart. These are the same things that he's talking about. Incidentally, all of these things on this list, creating your own identity, working towards constantly being about money, um, your comfort, your convenience, your phone, these are all things that, guess what? We've created. We've created all of those things, and now we're worshiping those things. We're not any different than the guy that went out and chopped down a tree and made a, a, a carved image and put it in his house. And God says, nothing before me. No gods. Do not worship anything before me. And that's, again, not in order. God says, anything that I can see, which is everywhere. Because it's going to consume you. If you can hear the word of God, if you can hear, you will see. If you can hear, you will see. That's like a really cool fortune cookie fortune. If you were to break, if you can hear, you will see that, but it's the truth. If you can hear from God, then you will be able to see what it is that he's doing. But if you're always looking to be able to see what God's doing, you're going to be sad. You're going to be empty. All of these things, they're empty. They're empty. And you will be empty if those are the things that you Worship. Now, you may be thinking, well, yeah, but I mean, can I have God and those things? Can I just have a life and just take Jesus and say, there, me and all my stuff and Jesus, and now I got the full package, right? Well, doesn't he speak about that as well? He says, you can't take a, a, a new patch and sew it onto an old garment. It's going to tear away. It's going to destroy both. You got to take it all off and put the new garment on. That's Jesus. 
right? Well, that's one note down. There you go. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> we ended last week right at verse 24. For it said, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire. Remember, he's reminding them, no idols. No idols, because at best, you'll be divided. At best, you'll be divided. At worst, and most likely, you'll be drawn away. So he says, for the Lord your God, he is a consuming fire, a jealous God. You remember what we talked about? I, you know, when I looked up the word jealous God um, in Hebrew, it means a purchasing God, one who buys, a purchaser. Isn't that just so right on? I mean, this is the character of God right from the very beginning. This is Deuteronomy. This isn't even New Testament. And it's identifying God as one who purchases. And who did he purchase? All of us. How did he do that? Through his son, Jesus Christ. We were purchased. He says that this is the character of God. He is a purchaser. Well, maybe you're trying to figure out, well, all right, but you know, there were lots of really smart people who translated the Bible and they translated the word to jealous. How do I get there from purchaser? Well, think about this. Say that you purchase something that's very costly and costs you a lot, right? And you have that thing and you love it. And let's just set idol aside for a second, but you just love that thing, right? And someone comes up and says, hey, I like that too. Can I have it half? And you're like, what? but I purchased it. It's mine. It's this idea that God says, look, I purchased you and I'm jealous for this now. It's mine. I don't want to share it. I don't want to share what I purchased with anybody, especially some other guy. What if your kids came home one day and said, you know what? You are a great dad, but I like these other guys too. So I'm going to ask these other three guys to come in and also be my dad. And you'd be like, what? First of all, you'd be like, that's crazy talk. <laughs> They're not your dads. You can't just bring in other people to also be your dads. And they have like, like five dads. No, I'm jealous for my kids. Same thing if my wife came home and said, it's, this has been really great. <laughs> but I've asked these other two guys to come in as well. I mean, I think I would be like, what? Okay, I, I'm fine with that, perfectly fine. Hey, let's, uh, you know, no, I'm jealous for my wife. Listen, there's a difference now between envy and jealousy, right? There's, I'm not, God isn't an envious God, but he is a jealous God, it says, because he purchased you. You're his. You're all his. Well, he wants you to be all his, but see, we start to get pulled this way a little bit by the other things that we are worshiping in our lives. I'm gonna, that's not to say you can't have other interests. You can't have money. You can't think about or even plan. Just because you're planning for retirement doesn't mean that it's an idol. But if you obsess about it, if that's the thing that has stolen your heart away, then it's an idol. He's a jealous God, it says. A consuming fire, I love that because it means that he doesn't leave any, there's nothing left for you to give to anybody else. A consuming fire. Now, verse 25. Now let's get started. 
when you beget children and grandchildren and have grown old in the land, first of all, isn't that really cool? He's, first of all, he's going to be a little bit of a prophet right now because they haven't done any of this, but he's saying, when this happens, when you do this, when you grow old in the land, what does that mean? What he's saying to these people, that they actually will go in and will possess the land and will be there for a while. That, that's pretty cool, actually, because they haven't gone in yet. In fact, their fathers... We're like, no, we can't go in. It's too scary. They're big, big giants and cities, and, and we're not going in. And, and so then they died. And now you've got this new generation that God is saying, go on in. Go on and look. look I, I've shown you these other cities that I gave to them, and I'm promising you to be able to go in. And so now Moses is saying, when you go in and you have dwelt there in the land, you've grown old in the land. But then he goes on and says, and act corruptly and make carved images in the form of anything, and do evil in the sight of the Lord your God to provoke him to anger, I will call heaven, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you possess over the Jordan to possess it. You will not prolong your days in it, but will utterly be destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left in a few number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And he says, you know, when you go in and grow old, you will act corruptly. You will begin to worship idols, and God is going to come in at that time, and he is going to chastise you for your disobedience. And he is going to do a work that is going to seem really hard and really bad. And he is going to, at one point, have the Babylonians come in under Nebuchadnezzar and just scoop them all up and take them out. And it is almost as if God is saying this. We're going to see, once you, once you read through, you're going to see that they get entangled up with idol worship uh, for years and years. And finally, God's going to say, you want idols? You want to worship idols? Fine. I'm going to send the Babylonians in. They're going to scoop you up. They're going to take you into a land. You're going to have idols coming out your ears. <laughs> idols everywhere. But when they eventually come out, no more idols. You see what he does? He uses the Babylonians and that says, you know what? I'm just going to idol you right out. You're going to be so sick of idols and the whole system that it's wrapped around that when you do actually come out of that land, you won't worship idols anymore. <clears throat> and it works, but it's hard. It's hard. See, he's making an agreement with them. He really, what Moses is going to go through in Deuteronomy is like, if you go into the land and you follow God's statutes and his judgments, it will be well for you. But if you don't, I will chastise you. I will chasten you. I will uh, help you. You know, it's like when, when you're a parent and you have to like, punish your children. You don't do it because you hate them. You don't do it because they're horrible. You do it because you're like, look, this is going to help you. No kid believes that, ever. No kid believes that this is for their own good. But it's true. It's true, and that God does the same thing. He says, in fact, the Bible says that he what? He chastens those he loves. When God chastens a people, it's because he loves them, not because, that they're, not because he hates them, and he wants to just stomp them out because they did that. He is doing it because he loves them. And there you will serve God's, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor smell. 
You know, it's crazy. This is the, the, all of this. I mean, all of this half of chapter, he's talking about idols. Don't worship idols. Don't make idols. Don't worship idols. Don't let them be a part of your life. Don't let them sneak in. Don't let them creep in in any way. Idols. He's already, by the way, given him the full Ten Commandments. Remember that? We talked about that already, right? Moses is going to, in the very next chapter, I mean, for us, the next chapter, in his next breath to them, he's going to go through them again. I just want to remind you, he's saying, I just want to remind you of the commandments that God gave you and the first two. I'm the, God, I'm the Lord your God. Don't have any other gods before me. Don't make any idols and bow down to them. The first two, he says, and this is the one that they have so much trouble with. It's almost like, you know, he's not reminding them here as he's talking to them before they go into the promised land, okay, um, don't murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't covet all the things that your neighbor has. No, he says, don't worship idols. The very first thing on the list. And it is the very first thing on the list that they're just like, right, we got it, no idols. And they go into the land and they're like, ooh, look at all the idols. <laughs> <sighs> Verse 29, but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you seek him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. If you underline or highlight in your Bible, underline and highlight that verse in your Bible because this is what he says. You're gonna go into a place that's dark. You're gonna go into a place where you're gonna be oppressed and it's not gonna be pleasant. But from there... You will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you seek him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. He says that I am not away from you. I am not hearing, I am not, not hearing you. When you are in that very low, very dark place, if you seek me with all of your heart and with all of your soul, you will find me. That's not just for them, gang. That's for all of us. It's for all of us. In fact, Many of you probably have a story where you were in a dark, sad, desperate place before you sought out God and before he found you. And you maybe had a moment where you were like, God, if you are real, if you could just make that known to me. And whatever that next step was in your story happened because God said, you're seeking me, you found me. Boy, am I happy for that. I'm so glad. Maybe though, maybe some of you here or some of you who are watching are in that place. You're thinking, I'm too far away. I could never get back or I could never get to where God... Do you know what sometimes people say as well? I can't walk into a church because God would strike me down with lightning. No. Do you ever hear the saying uh, that the fisherman catches the fish and then cleans them? Same. God's saying, you don't have to get all cleaned up. You don't have to get all religioned up to come into church. Just come to church. Come to me, he says. Just come to me. Just come to me. If you seek me, if you honestly and are really seeking me, you'll find me. You seek me with all your heart, with all your soul. Do you know, you know why that's connected to idols? Because you can't be seeking God and serving an idol at the same time. You've got to seek him with all of your heart and all of your soul. And he says, for the Lord your God. Oh, wait, 30. When you are in distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice. What is that talking about? You know it. What does it mean when you turn to God? 
when you repent. That's part of seeking God with all of your heart and with all your soul. That means you say, I've realized all of a sudden that I am a sinner who needs a Savior. See, the fact is that God purchased you. That's the gospel. Your response to it is this verse, that you seek him with all of your heart and all your soul, and you turn to God. That's repentance. And God says, okay, now you're mine. Now you're mine. And why does he do it? Verse 31, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. Wait a minute. I mean... Verse 24 says he's a consuming fire and a jealous God. But 31 says, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. Well, is he, is he a, an all-consuming fire and a jealous God, or is he a merciful God? Yes. Yes. He is all of that and more. Yes, he's jealous for you. That means he doesn't want to share you. But he is merciful. He's a merciful God. You know what that means? Is that he, you get more than one chance when you fail. Anybody happy that you get more than one chance if you fail? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. See, God says, look, you're going to sin, but when you do, if you're faithful to confess your sin, I forgive you. In fact, I don't just forgive you. We move on. I don't condemn you for the past. If you confess your sin, I don't condemn you for the past. Problem is, we don't always do that confession part. And we hold on to it. And we just say, you know what? I'm going to forget it and just move on. But you never do. It sticks to you. It's in there. It causes you to like, be poisoned from the inside. It's the confession that's so important. Say, Lord, I, 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 I did it again. I'm sorry. Forgive me. He says, I forgive you. Give me a hug. However God would do that. He will not forsake you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of, his fa- your covenant of your fathers, which he swore to them. For now, for ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man from the cosmic accident. Hmm? Paying attention? No, it doesn't say that. That's silly. Look, the Bible right here says, since the day that God created man on the earth, was man created by a cosmic accident? Did nothing blow up and create everything? How does that even happen? No, it says that God created man on the earth. And asked from, and he says, and asked from one end of heaven to the other whether any great thing like this has ever happened or anything like it has ever been heard. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and live? What's the answer? No, it's rhetorical. He's not really asking them. He's kind of saying, this has never happened to anyone else before. Or did God ever try and go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by mighty hand and outstretched arm and great terrors according to all the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? No. Again, it's rhetorical. He's saying this is what God did for you, for you, <laughs> for you all. To whom it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God. The Lord himself is God. There is none other besides him. Right? 
Ah, another verse you might want to underline because when the Jehovah Witnesses come and they look at Jesus and they say, well, Jesus isn't God. He's a God. In fact, if you look in John 1, 1 in their Bibles, it says in the beginning was the word and the word was a God. And he goes like, whoa, hold on a minute. Uh, there's a verse right here in Deuteronomy chapter 4 that says the Lord himself, God, there is no other gods besides him. In fact, he's going to say it again later on. He said, there is no other God. So Jesus couldn't be a God. That's a problem for them. You should show them that. In love. Out of heaven, he let you hear his voice that he might instruct you on earth. He showed you his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers, therefore he chose their descendants after them. See, he didn't do it because they were awesome. And he looked at those, he looked at that, you know, looked at Jacob's family and was like, those guys are amazing. Man, am I going to be able to do some great work with those terrific guys. They actually, they weren't terrific, were they? I mean, they sold their own brother into slavery after they decided not to kill him narrowly. God didn't look at those people and be like, whoo-hoo, they are so awesome. This is going to be a snap. No. He did it because he loved them, it says. He loved them. Because that's how God is. That's who God is. He loved them. He loves you. How did he demonstrate that? <laughs> See, it says that God, in this way, God demonstrated his love for us. That while we were awesome, sinners. oh, that's right, sinners. While we were sinners, Christ died for us, right? John 3.16, if I had a sign in a rainbow wig, you would all know what I was talking about. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should... I just blinked. Who knows that? All right, that's good enough. Yes, that's right. He said he so loved the world, he so loved his creation that he sent his only son to come and die for you. Right? That's how much he loved you. He didn't do it because you're awesome. You're not awesome. Awesome only belongs to God, right? Awesome only belongs to God. It was a word created for him to express how he is. You are not awesome. I don't have it on today. But not awesome. He did it because he loved you. He did it when you were his enemy. When you hated God, it says, in your mind. He still loved you. And he sent his son to die for you. And it says, therefore, he chose their descendants after them, and he brought you out of Egypt with, I love this, his presence with his mighty power. He brought him out with his presence. Do you remember when he brought them out of Egypt? You know, he was with them every step of the way. You know, he separated the army from the uh, Israelites with, a, with a, a column of fire to keep them so that he could open up the sea. Wow, neat. This looks like the ocean right here. Open up the sea so that they could walk through. And then he let the Egyptians come in and he closed it back up on them like that. Then every single day he was with them, fire and cloud 
and manna and quail and anything they needed, water, everything they needed. He brought them out with his presence and his power. I love that they have that in there, that it was the presence of the Lord that went with them that they feel is most important to say first, his presence. In fact, you might even say the power is in his presence, right? You could, if you're not a believer, if you don't have the Holy Spirit living in your heart, you could have knowledge of who God is. There's no power there. You simply have the knowledge. Okay, I've read through the Bible. I have knowledge. But if you don't have his presence, there's no power. There's no power in your life to change you. And driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring us in to give you their land and as, as an inheritance in this day. Therefore, know this day and consider it in your heart that the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. What is that right there? Another reminder to not worship idols because it's pointless. It's pointless. If he's saying, I'm the only God in heaven or on earth, I'm the only God. So any worship given to anything else is pointless and empty. It will accomplish nothing good. You shall therefore keep, keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you this day, that it may go well with you and your children after you. See, it's so important that you see that what his purpose was. If you follow my commandments, it will go well with you. It doesn't say it will make you more righteous in my eyes. It says it will go well with you, which means you will be able to live in a way that's not only different, but good. You'll live in a way. You won't murder one another. It's pretty important. You won't steal from one another. You won't bear false witness against one another. You will be honoring to your mother and your father. And, and most importantly, you will not worship idols. If you'll do all those things, if you follow all those things, it will be well with you. It's so important for them going in. It's so important for us now because we can easily look around and be like, you know, you know what if we were just like everybody else? Wouldn't it be easier for us to live if we were just like everybody else? No, it wouldn't be. Don't be fooled. Don't be drawn in. It's an easy trap. The devil sits there and he says, you know what? If you were just like them, if you were the same as them, look at what they're doing. You could do that too. And get sucked in. It won't be well with you. It won't, especially if you've got the Holy Spirit living inside your heart because you're straddling some kind of weird fence all the time rather than just, you know, you're, like I said the other day, you're holding on to God here and you're holding on to the world here and you're getting pulled a little bit this way and you're trying to pull back a little bit this way. But ultimately, what happens? You let go of this and you grab onto this. And you actually do become like everybody else. But God was saying, be different. <clears throat> right, well, last thing, we're going to end with this. Then Moses set up three cities on the side of the Jordan toward the rising sun that the manslayer might flee there who kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in the, in the time past and that by fleeing to one of these cities he might live. And then it says those three places that he set them up. And these are interesting because these are called 
<laughs> I forgot what they're called. Sanctuary cities. Thank you. Somebody knows. <laughs> he sets up sanctuary cities, three sanctuary cities. And the reason they set them up was like, if you accidentally killed somebody, you ran somebody over with your donkey or your cart or something fell or you shot an arrow and it went, you were axe throwing and it came back and it hit the person behind you. If it was an accident, there were sanctuary cities so that you could run to one of these sanctuary cities where the Levitical priests were living and you could be protected there. Like no one could come and kill you. And like, let's say that you accidentally ran over somebody with your donkey and your cart and they died. Somebody from that family would be now assigned to come and kill you. They were called the Avenger of Blood. You don't see that on the Avengers movies, right? The Avenger of Blood. But they were then allowed to kind of track you down, and then they could kill you. That was, how, that was kind of their, their role at that point. However, if you made it to a sanctuary city, you would be protected there um, for, for the immediate future, at least. And then they would look in to say, all right, well, was it really an accident? And if it was really an accident, you could stay there and be safe. You, your life could be saved if you stayed in the sanctuary city. Now, eventually, though, the high priest in that city would die, and now you were free to go. You could go back home to your house. Now, your hope is that when you move to a sanctuary city that the guy is really, really, really old, and it was just a short period of time. But if the, the high priest there is a young guy, you're just like, oh, great. I guess this is my new home now. And you had to stay there, but as soon as he died. But if you left the city while the high priest was still alive, the avenger of blood could kill you. So that you, if you stayed in the city with the high priest, you'd be saved. There were three of them set up here. Moses, once they get, uh, Joshua, excuse me, will set up three more on the other side. So there will be six sanctuary city set up. And, and I was kind of reading through this and God was like, you know, last night he was talking to me about this. You know, you're all kind of murderers, aren't we? You see, the thing is like, why did Christ go to the cross? He died because of us. Not just us, but for everyone's sin. We all sinned and sin requires Blood, death. Sin requires death. And so Jesus came and he went to the cross and he died, not because of anything he had done, but because of what we had done. It was our sin that he died for. It was our sin that killed him. And so the, the, the avenger of blood is the price of sin. It's death. But Jesus became like also our sanctuary city. He became the sanctuary city for all of us because we could run to Jesus and be saved and remain with Jesus, right? Well, see, the thing is, a sanctuary city, it was, it was temporary. You know, once the high priest died, then, then you were on your own. But with us, when the high priest died, he also rose from the grave, which meant he's the high priest forever, and he'll never die, which means we're safe for all eternity, Right? Isn't that amazing? Jesus is the ultimate sanctuary city. Now, here's the crazy part. There were six. Six sanctuary cities. Right? You know, and again, I always say this. I feel like I have to say this. I'm not a numbers guy in the Bible. 
but sometimes there are numbers that just jump out at me. Like six is the number of man in perfection, the number of man. And so they set up, man set up six sanctuary cities that you could go to and temporarily be saved from the avenger of blood. But Jesus, you see, he's perfect. Jesus is the final, the seventh, the final and perfect sanctuary city, right? But you got to run to him. You got to run to him because if you're outside the sanctuary of city, the avenger of blood will come and he will take you. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, just uh, am really blown away by your word. Lord, I, I, I can't believe that we're reading Deuteronomy and yet it's so personal. It's so current even. Lord, I thank you so much for what you continue to do in our lives and in this church and in our community. Lord, I pray right now, especially for our grand opening, Lord, that you would reach out to folks in this neighborhood and in this community and that you would bring them here, not because we're awesome, Lord, but because you are. Lord, and we just love to point that out. Lord, we know that the word here is preached. Lord, we know that the worship is true and honest. Lord, the fellowship is genuine, Lord, but it's because we love you, because you loved us first, Lord. I thank you, Jesus, so much for being our ultimate and and eternal sanctuary city, Lord. You are amazing. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.